0: everybody and welcome to another bp movie journal the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these i'm david i'm tyler it's been two weeks yeah um, in an uneventful two weeks i like <laughs> to think uh no that's not true obviously um this is uh, not to be glue about it glue about it this is the first episode we're recording the first episode of the post the first episode we're recording since um what happened in charlottesville this past weekend um and uh i feel like I, n- I feel like a, we need to be on record not because in a, in a sane universe that we thought we lived in, you no, and I, I wouldn't yeah. have to sit here and say <laughs> that we yeah. are against yeah. white supremacists yeah. to officially condemn them. But when our nation is led by someone who can't bring himself to do that and when he when he is forced to do it, he petulantly doubles back. Um. As, no. as soon as he's as soon as the, the shackles are off yeah um, and you know uh, John Kelly stands off to the side like ruminating on his decades long career and wondering <laughs> how he got to where he was like uh, again not to be good about it it is fucking horrifying yeah. Um. you know on on Saturday the day that the Charlottesville thing happened when when uh, when president Trump came out and said like condemned the violence on many sides, on many sides. He said it twice just to really drill in what he was talking about. Um, I tweeted something about like, this is, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said, but basically like, I've never been more furious at something that Donald Trump said. And that's a high bar. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was going to
1: say, well, hang on, there's uh, gotta be something surely.
0: And that lasted 72 hours. And then he outdid himself. Mm. Um, to the point where I was, I, I get, um, it was interesting. Like I get Politico, um, I the political app. So I get like things pushed to my phone. Yeah. So I got the notification about what he said on, uh, where he said there were many fine people or whatever. Um, yeah. and, 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 said something and he used the term alt left, which is a weird like, uh, um, false equivalency thing. um, And like, I got that notification and read that little political blurb blurb right before I went into a meeting, like a 90 minute long meeting at work. And so I was like furious and like tweeting during the meeting and like reading Twitter during the meeting, (laughs) but also knowing like I'm probably the only one in this. There's like eight of us in this meeting. I'm probably the only one, like the other seven people are going to go out and go back to their desks and find out what happened. Right. I'm the only one here who's sitting here like freaking the fuck out. And I was freaking out like most of the day Tuesday. Um, and uh, I I, I want to throw this over to you, but I I think what I want to take away, um, is that a we like I I said this about I felt this way about President Trump's conflicts of interest that uh, how, how much uh, how little he has divested himself of his business I said it to some extent about the um the the Russia collusion with the campaign and now this again like. I don't feel like I'm being partisan or overly partisan or partisan at all when I say, like, this is a presidency that needs to end early. It it needs to end, and, and I mean that not just, uh, what I'm about to say is not just because I don't condone violence, sure. but also because it would be best for the country, it needs to end legally and peacefully. Yes. It needs to be forced out by legal means or forced to resign um, by by legal means, because that will be the best thing for uh, for the country. And it needs to happen soon. And I feel like I am frustrated with some uh, if I allow myself to be, I am frustrated with um, uh, uh, a lot of the 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 GOP Congress who repeatedly repeatedly like will come out and say i don't agree with what the president said you know i and in this case very strong some of them came out very strongly yeah um and yet like i'm not sure what's going to push them over that line to see what i feel is obvious about this this presidency but that's if i allow allow myself to get frustrated what i am choosing to do is to focus on what i just talked about the, the 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 um the Cory Gardner's and the uh, Marco Rubio's and mm-hmm. the uh, multiple other sitting Republican congressmen who gave unequivocal statements against yeah. um, white supremacy and saying they didn't agree with the president. And I'm, I'm take I'm choosing to see that it's awful that it, had to come to what it came to. Yeah. And it's awful for me to contemplate how much further it might have to go, but I can see tide turning. I feel I, 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 that's my positive takeaway here. And I feel like we can't let the, 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 tide ebb here. Yeah. We, we can't let this go back to being normalized, not just because we're going to, I'm going to get emotional here, not just because um, Donald Trump is an awful president but at this point this young woman has died mm-hmm. um, and I feel like we can't forget her yeah. at any point uh, we have to keep moving forward and we're making progress we have to keep making progress for the good of the country and for her memory Yeah. sorry you talk
1: okay well, I'll uh, well now. I'm just gonna make all kinds of jokes. I guess I can't now. Uh, yeah, uh, I. It's weird. I have a hard time being positive, and I know that I should because I'm a Christian. I believe there's hope and all that kind of thing. But whatever. <laughs> I'm also a huge depressive at this point, and uh, things have been pretty rough for me. Not that that matters at this point, but uh, and I honestly think that. I think i 'm more angry. I feel like i 'm less hopeful precisely because it 's my party. This happened on my watch. I mean, who am i i 'm one person, and my vote doesn 't really matter that much in california but uh
0: and to, I mean to your credit you 've never you 've always you're not yes. like one of those people like the the New York Times editorial today like I regret my vote for sure, time. sure you, you were always. Uh, anti-Trump. I was, vocally so. So. I was against Trump as the, as
1: the uh, New Republic, uh, sorry, uh, National the Review. National Review. Although I'm pretty sure New Republic was also <laughs> not in, a, in huge favor of him. Uh, yeah, so I I do agree with you. This is we've had good presidents, we've had bad presidents. I feel like he is outside of that spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel I like he doesn't, of- you can't measure him.
0: I had this thought today because um, of a uh, professional athlete who said that if you know, know, it's it's standard practice for the championship team to get invited to the White House. Sure, and um, I can't remember who it was who said if if this happened to me this year, I wouldn't go. Sure. And here, and and this is the, and I'm sorry that I cut you off, but this Mm -hmm. is a perfect I think illustration of that. I've always been a person who's like respect the office, you know, like I'm a person who says as much as I hate him, I still say president Trump, you know, because I respect the office. Um, and I've always felt with those kind of things. Like if I were on a team that won a national championship while George W. Bush was in office, um, I, I would go because it's, it's an honor to be, recognized by the office of the presidency, and um, I, I, I would have gone. I think what you're talking about outside that spectrum is that I I wouldn't go to Donald Trump's White House. And, you know, yeah, I think that's that's how I feel about
1: it. Yeah, it, it just... I feel like you can't talk about him in standard political terms. I feel like, you know, you and I were talking off, Mike, about how there's a there's a certain transcendence to how people... Hopefully, are able to talk about this guy. Um, in that, it frustrates me when people are like, you know, like, well, he was better than Hillary. It's like, well, I, I don't, I can't possibly agree with that. But what I'll say is, like, I feel like you can't even, you cannot compare the two. You can't compare him to any other politician he exists 100 percent on his own he is a party unto himself he happens to have an r next to his name and that is why people are following him and he, there's this idea it's like well he's he's actually putting up a fight yeah but what kind of fight is he putting up i mean come on like who you know you gotta count your you gotta look at the company people keep and one thing that i said so i i put out a mini minisode at more than one lesson about this and other things happening at the moment and One thing I said is that, like, here's how you know he's different. If there were, like, if anybody else running on the Republican, you know, in the Republican primary, if anybody else there or any of the Democrats, if any of them had gotten the nomination and then won, if if there were a President Kasich or a President Sanders or a President O'Malley, whatever it is, would anybody, do you think any of us would be seeing Nazi flags on our TV? Like, there is only one person that people felt emboldened by, and it is him. And I think it's a number of things. One is just his general rhetoric during the campaign, and people were able to build on that and think like, hey, you know what? I think now is our moment. That's one thing. And then the other is his inability to speak ill of people that he feels like like him, whether it be Putin or Richard Spencer, not Sean Spicer, Richard Spencer, um... Like, whoever it is, if you say nice things about him, he will, if he speaks out against this person at all, he will do it very begrudgingly to the point that you can just tell he does not want to say this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I said this when he first got elected, and we talked about this at length is that, like, he is committed to himself and only that. He has no, I don't actually think he has any sympathy towards anybody that dies on any side. Uh, whether it be our enemies or our or our friends or our soldiers, I don't think he actually cares. Uh, you know, that's the thing is listening to various conservative podcasts. There have been some that say like, "Hey, we got to call him out when he does good. We got no, we got to encourage him when he does good and call him out when he does bad." And so, like, they would talk about a certain speech that he gives that in which he's saying things that we as conservatives agree with. And even if I, as I listened to, it, I was like, "Yeah, on the paper, on the page, this is good. I agree with what he's saying." But I don't think he does. Like I don't think this matters to him at all. I don't think he believes any of this. Um, And so even when he does something that is good, I don't trust any reason. I don't trust his reasoning behind it. And so, and it is, we are at risk, this is big and melodramatic, but we are at risk of losing our national identity, both at home and abroad by this man being our public face and that is what i said during the primary is like this is not the person we want representing us and a presidency is more than just the laws that they create or or, or the bills they pass the, there is something bigger than that there is the concept of being presidential and even even if i disagree on even if i disagreed 100 percent with barack obama he was presidential you know, the, and Bill Clinton as well, or George W. Bush, there is, or or Ronald Reagan, or Jimmy Carter. I do feel like there is a history of people who are able to sort of rise above to a certain stature, where even if I disagree what they are do with what they are doing, there is something I'm not necessarily ashamed of how they carry themselves. I am ashamed of how Donald mm-hmm. Trump carries himself and how he represents me to the world. Like it makes me wonder well what am i what am I doing wrong as a conservative and as an American, uh, not in that order obviously, um, that allowed this to happen? What could I have done differently? You and I have a low level platform <laughs> you know,
0: and that's the th- that's what we can all we can all do is to continue to show the world through using our voice through protesting um, uh, peacefully obviously sure. um, um, and um through uh frankly uh spending our money on charities that we think uh uh represent us better sure. um money gets things done um in 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 this world and i think we can continue to show to the world at large no. that, uh, he's not us.
1: And I would say that if you, if you live in a Republican district or something like that, do write to your Congressman, because I think Congress, as long as Trump is doing well with the base and he's doing, he's not doing as well. Cause there's the, there are general Republicans, there's the, there's the base. And then there are Trump supporters. It does get smaller as you go along and yeah. 60% of not Republicans Sixty percent of Trump reporters uh, supporters recently in a poll said that they that he could not do anything to sure. sway them. So that's sixty yeah. percent of his of his base.
0: Yeah, and so um, like you know, you say right to your representatives. You should, from what I, I'm told, you should call them. Apparently, okay. calling them is the best way to get things done. And apparently, that's something that um, uh, people on the left are just like learning now. Hmm. I guess like uh, people on the right have but much better history of oh, calling. Whereas the left, maybe because the left tends to be younger, is just more of an email thing. And emails I was going to say, it's probably ignore. that, you know. yeah.
1: um, <laughs> I think that. But, I think on the right, they just realize like, <laughs> well, I can't use Morse code anymore. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so um, that took a little longer than I w- wanted it to, but I think it was, um, uh, I'm glad we addressed it. Uh, let's talk about some movies. I watched a movie called The Empty Hours. It's a Mexican film from a few years ago. Uh, about a, um, uh, a boy who's 17, whose, uh, uncle runs a sort of a seaside motel kind of a, uh, you know, it's nice enough. It's on the beach, but it's kind of a little bit of a scuzzy place. Um, and his uncle, uh, gets sick, has to have surgery. He's going to be, uh, away from the hotel for a while. So he enlists his 17 year old nephew to, uh, look after the hotel mm-hmm. while, the motel while he's gone and uh then there's a woman who's a local uh i guess real estate agent who is uh who uses the motel most afternoons to um have uh you know care an affair she's having with a married man right um but this man uh is often late for their rendezvous the plural of rendezvous is rendezvous right i would think so Um, i think so yeah uh and so there's this 17 this, uh, year old kid and this uh, woman who's probably in her mid 20s uh, become friends, and that's basically the story of the movie. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a it's a very delightful. I don't know if delightful is the right word. It's because it's it's kind of slow, and meditative, but it's a it's a very well observed uh, movie. It made sort of you know it, you know I think it, I think there's way too much. Uh, I was going I was going to say movies in general but way too much fiction that I think uh gets being a teenager wrong. Okay. Um because I think sometimes adults can't help but uh, it, it's weird everyone was a teen, everyone who is not a, you know who is older than a teenager yeah. was a teenager and yet I feel like adults like have a hard time getting back into that headspace and I well, it's I hard might to, be one of
1: those too. It's hard to remove what you know now. Mm-hmm. like it's hard not to look back on that in retrospect and and just to you know when you're telling a story it, not that it's by not that it's autobiographical but like when you're telling the story of youth having come out of that it's hard not to get either wistful or cautionary or any of these things because we know how things turned out eventually right you know right. It's, you can be mournful there's a lot of things that that can happen and yeah. i feel like there are a handful of of movies that I think get it completely right for me i one of them I think is Main Creek. I think that gets mm-hmm. being a teenager like a hundred percent right,
0: yeah, and there's a the movie that i um hasn't come out yet, but that I saw at l a film fest called and then I go um mm-hmm. that's another one that I think uh did very well um Oh, and, uh, movie Meltdown, which is part of the fleet, right. uh, interviewed the director of, and then I go, oh. I think two episodes ago, they should ch- uh, listeners should check that out. Movie they Meltdown sh- is part of the Battleship retention fleet and yeah. we don't talk about it enough. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, Go to com and, uh. I don't know. Search for Movie Meltdown. Yeah. Or there's a, there's a pull-down menu for all there the sweet podcasts. You they, can get good, they,
1: uh, they get good guests over at Movie Meltdown. I yeah, feel they like really we should, uh, grind,
0: I think. We yeah. should take a page out of their book. Or just
1: take their guests. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, we live here. <laughs> okay. They don't.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, and then I also watched a movie that is, at this point, 10 years old. Even in a movie that you're just like, everyone says it's good. And you're like, I'm going to get to it. And then you look up and it's been 10 years. Constantly. Yes. Uh, So I finally watched the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Finally. Yeah. Really? Okay. I had had never seen it. Your thoughts. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It is truly wonderful. If I have any complaint, it's that the best part of the movie is the epilogue and I could kind of watch an entire sequel that was just the epilogue, (laughs) frankly. It's it's
1: so wonderful. And um, that music is so great. uh Uh-huh. It is just uh, it is it is as you know it is my in my opinion the fourth masterpiece of uh, two thousand seven
0: yeah that's right um, and I spent a lot of time thinking while watching the movie thinking about the title of the movie um, uh, and also I didn't know that uh, Sam Shepard's in it at the beginning oh yeah because uh, I, I watched it like just two days after, two days after days after he's after he um, uh, which is weird because like he's uh, supposed to be. Uh, I, I looked it up like that character is supposed to be like four years older than Jesse James and yeah. he's like 25 years older yeah. uh, and they're both too old to be playing the act, they, the age of yeah. the characters. But Sam
1: Shepard is one of those guys
0: who has looked <laughs> right. 53 for years. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, but, but I kept thinking about the title uh, and how, like it's cause I've always liked the title. I like movies with long titles for yeah. some reason. Um, but it, it did have a little bit of a, like a, a uh, showiness to it. Sure. But in watching the movie, I realized how important the title is that because the title hangs over every scene, yep. you know, what's going to happen, you know, who's going to do it. And the title is giving you a judgment on yeah. Casey Affleck's character. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, even before, Robert Ford has to fight against his legacy as a coward. Yeah. He has to fight against it with the audience because the audience is uh, already primed to view him as a coward.
1: Yeah, he seems we, we instinctively see him as Weasley. Uh, and then it takes a while to realize, oh, wait a second. He's not that bad, really. He's He's not any worse than any of these other people, I would
0: say. Yeah, he's a little less maybe... Confident, sure. I guess, um, and then you know you're gonna have your no own conclusions about what he does in, sure. in the movie. Um, I, you know, I don't think the I don't think that the label of coward is entirely unfair to the way right. that the at least the way the events are portrayed in the movie. Um, but it did give it, it. It did. Um, it's it's rare when a title of a movie frames it so much. I mean, in a certain way, yeah. in a, to a certain extent, titles always do that for movies. They, they, they're your first clue. Yeah. Uh I mean, I guess that, you know, realistically the trailer is your first clue but um no. ideally the title is your first clue as to how to interpret the movie but here is a movie that is entirely framed by its title
1: well and also there's narration in the film and the narration is delivered in a very specific it's third person omniscient mm-hmm. and it's delivered in a very down-home simple almost earnest hemingway style like it's it's not right yeah i think so uh i mean it, it's, it's a little prosaic flowery. at times it's a little flowery from time to time but the way it's delivered is not i see yeah. and 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 with like that narration, with that title implies like, here's the, here's the story that we all know, like a, like a grandfather talking to his kids, but we're seeing everything behind that story. Mm. Um, but we're also we're seeing like the fact of it but also the the romanticization of it yeah uh with that beautiful cinematography that roger deacons absolutely deserved to win cinematography in my opinion as much as i like the way there will be blood looks i feel like yeah. deacons is doing better things with that film so i'm glad you saw it and i'm glad you enjoyed it
0: yeah i, I really did uh hell of a cast uh to yeah. our friend pat healy is in it um yeah. uh, as is nick cave Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it is a, and it is a wonderful score by yeah. him as well yeah. all right uh what did you watch
1: all right so over more than one lesson we kind of kick-started uh our best of pictures again i hadn't there were three in a row that i hadn't seen so it took me a while to to get to them uh and so this is the best picture of 1952 it is cecil b demille's the greatest show on earth no, thank you. <laughs> it is one of the, it is astonishing, David, how a movie that is as big as this can be so inessential. It is astonishing to me because when I, when I saw around the world in 80 days, one thing, cause people talk about like, that's ah, it's not that good of a best picture. I agree. It is not that good, but I get what it, well, I understand why it exists. It is cinemascope. It's in color, mm-hmm. and it is essentially a travel log. It shows it shows people the world in the best possible way. And people that probably were not going to be traveling the world, you know, and so it had a very functional purpose and lived up to that purpose. Greatest show on earth shows the circus. Well, the nature of the circus is that it goes from town to town. You will see it eventually, and while around the world in 80 days, uh, you really feel like you're seeing these large vistas and it feels larger than life, even though in in our case, we're just watching it on our TVs. Um, whereas somehow greatest show on earth, which I I've not seen on a big screen. Uh, so maybe it looks better there, but it's not shot in a way that really makes things look bigger than life. Uh, if anything, it makes everything smaller. Hmm. Um, the performances are fine. Uh, Jimmy Stewart has a particularly poignant role as this uh, clown Buttons who actually is kind of running from a former life and that kind of thing. So, And then Charlton Heston is in the middle of all of it, and there's some character dynamics that I don't care about. And it really is, I mean, for my money, and admittedly, 52 wasn't a super strong year uh, as far as best picture type movies, but for my money, I think it might actually be the worst, best picture I've seen.
0: Hmm. All right. <laughs> um, I watched the movie from last year um, that I was, I guess, curious to see. Uh, I watched John Lee Hancock's The Founder. Uh, oh, okay. I keep going back to this guy because he, he came out of the gate with The Rookie mm-hmm. and the Alamo movies that I like. And The Founder, I just can't. Uh, it's not great. I, I
1: think. really liked it.
0: I think um, it's uh, it could be one of the performances of Michael Keaton's career. Sure, and I think it's a shame that the movie uh, uh, around it is um, so stubbornly superficial a lot of the times. Right, or, and when it's not, even when it's not superficial, it's also I think too. Uh, you know, instead of being shallow, it, it could be too thin or too spread too thin. It I definitely think, is not introspective, I'll say I, that. And I think um, there are times when John Lee Hancock or the, uh, the, the screenwriter, I forget uh, the name of the screenwriter, I know this is like a blacklist screenplay, which originally yeah. uh, makes uh, me skeptical. Um, he'd written The Wrestler as well. Yeah, yeah, and I can't think of his name. Um, I think there needs to be... There, uh, they lose track of the fact that the title is The Founder, meaning Ray Kroc, and this is a movie about Ray Kroc. It's not a movie about McDonald's, and so sometimes I sure. think the movie gets caught up in what I can only assume, it, like is like it almost feels like they're throwing a bone to like, well, people came to see a movie about McDonald's, so like, if you think about it, like when he first goes to San Bernardino and meets the McDonald brothers, and he takes them out to dinner and they tell the story of their McDonald's, yeah, it, that is a long section of the movie that is. On its own, an interesting story. Yeah, but it's not the story you're telling. Like you could jump from them giving him the initial tour of the kitchen to him wanting to franchise without actually losing any of the Ray Kroc story. It, it feels like it's such a distraction. I do love that sequence. Because, as you
1: say, on its own, it is yeah. very interesting. But I think I think it works for me in the context of the story because every detail they are saying is one that he is acquiring. They don't know it yet, and he might not know it yet, but everything they say is something that is, that is just being absorbed. So the more detail they go into, the more he gets. So I kind of look at it that way, I in, retrospect, saying, in retrospect. But
0: also that kind of contradicts what he says at the end, which is that, he could have just stolen the idea or anything. All he really sure. needed was the name McDonald's. Sure. Like so, uh, I feel like that would have hit harder um, and, and been uh, a, a more of a revelation moment. Yeah. If the movie hadn't spent so long saying, telling us that uh, no, everything about their system is super super important yeah. when really it's not. Like the actual. The actual system, as 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 much as it is interesting, that um, Nick McDonald is that uh, not Nick Nick Offen, his character is um, right. It's Mac and I don't remember. Hang on, I, I actually pulled this up. Um, like uh, Dick. It, Dick, Dick and Mac, Dick yeah. McDonald. Yeah, um, his. Um, His system is super interesting, again, on its own, but it's actually not important to the story. Right.
1: I, let me ask you this structurally, if they had worked it out so that somehow he met these guys before he knew where they worked, like if he met them and just kind of interacted with them as like fellow businessmen and stuff like that, and then they explained their thing and he's like, that sounds amazing. And then he finds out their last name or he goes to the actual place because then it, it is the capper. It's like, wow, that's a really great system. And he's simply oh, acknowledging it, but yeah. only then do they say, here's this. And it's like that I can do something with.
0: Um, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think it could, ju- they, they should, uh, you know, it could have just cut out, but I, I don't want to review the, the movie that I, I want to review the movie, that right, saw, right. the movie that I wish I saw. Um, and Michael Keaton is is terrific, yeah. um, as are John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman. Yeah, um,
1: Nick Offerman especially. I No offense to John Carroll Lynch, but like Nick Offerman's character is given more to do, mm-hmm. I think, and I think he does a great job.
0: Yeah, but uh, I, I think I'm just yeah. uh, I have this idea. Uh, well, to talk about something that we will talk about in our next main episode, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, John Lee Hancock's tuning fork is out out of out of pitch.
1: And I actually, and you know what, actually, um, what I, the reason I was curious about this film was how do you take Robert uh, Siegel, by the way, is the name of the writer. Um, I thought it was Robert Smigel and I was like, that probably is not right.
0: I'd, I'd see that movie
1: though. And he also wrote big fan, I believe. So like he is a guy who's used to writing darker things. John yeah. Lee Hancock is not a dark director, so I was interested to see how those two things go
0: together. But that's the thing—he handled heavier material in The Alamo, yeah, than I think people would have expected, and he did yeah. it well and made it fit. And I think there's, and I think Michael Keaton is giving the performance that Robert Siegel's screenplay sure wants, you know, and it had with the lines like if my opponent were drowning, I'd walk over and shove a hose in his mouth. Like that's (laughs) such a great line. And that's the character he's, he's playing in that moment. And I
1: do like the scene where he is explaining to Dick, like what it is I needed from you. And there's an, it's a nice moment where he's like, he goes, he's like my name, Croc. What kind of name is that? Like there's like some real, self-loathing there, yeah. but not the kind that you would expect from this ter- this type of character and then i also think that carter burwell's score is more appropriate to the kind of movie that you wish this would be like the way he incorporates like a baseline uh and makes it a little bit jazzy kind of undercuts it kind of makes yeah. things a little sleazier um, um but yeah i could i see what you mean
0: i'll tell you my favorite part of the movie and uh, uh weirdly, um, it's a little, bar, little part, and then also it goes on to illustrate what I don't like about the movie, is after he's met them the first time and they've turned him down, and he's there's that sort of montage of him driving around America and looking at flags and steeples. Yeah. And I love that wordless sequence on its own, but then it has to go and have him give a speech to the brothers where he tells them, he tells them and by extension tells the audience exactly what that sequence meant, even right. though I felt like it was pretty you know the the iconography that he was collecting sure was uh, it was in, it was translated enough visually that we didn't need him to say yeah. here's what i was thinking while i was looking at flags and steeples right and i think that's that's uh sort of uh symptomatic of uh, a lot of the problems i have with the movie and
1: i think that is the filmmaker that john lee hancock is these days and probably was in the alamo as well which i rewatched a while ago and is still good still okay that's good. good um but he's a very straightforward director like he he's not he, he, he has a pretty strong visual sense, but he's not only going to do that. Like, he will put a capper on things. Um, um, and you never saw The Blind Side, and good for you.
0: Yeah, I think I have... No, you know what? I don't... I think I sold it to Amoeba. I had the DVD. <laughs> Someone gave it to me. Um, Who and why? Uh, Family member? It was actually... My in-laws... It was one of those things, like... I'm sure you've seen it at... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they still do it at Best Buy. It used to be like, buy this... DVD player and choose free movies from oh, yeah. these, like five movies. Or My whatever. very first DVD player came with five movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's how they got The Blind Side and um, gave it to me and Natalie. And mm-hmm. <laughs> we never watched it, and I'm pretty sure we sold it to but That's a win for you. <laughs> All right. Um, and then I watched a terrific little indie movie from a few years ago called The Cold Lands. Hmm. um when i when i watched it i was like that was good and then like it's been a couple of weeks and i keep thinking like wow it was that was something special there was something special going on with that movie uh basically it's about a kid um named atticus the actor's name is silas yelich uh who was raised by his single mom played by the great lily taylor mm-hmm. um and she's a sort of um not sure how you describe her. Like she's a very about, uh, very much about like self-sufficient living. So she yeah. homeschools him. He's like, he never is allowed sugar. They don't have a TV. Like, um, they, uh, spend a lot of time in nature or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, um, the movie spends a good long while setting up their dynamic. Uh, and then she very suddenly dies. Hmm. Um, and then he basically like there are people who want to come take him and put him into foster care and he goes into hiding in the woods and it's basically about him. And then he, you know, he, uh, uh, as, 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 as Jules would say in Pulp Fiction, he gets into adventures. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, that's basically what it's about. But, um, what it's I think what the movie is really about thematically is the way that um even though they may not seem to be sinking in or we may disagree at at the time the way that the things we learn from our parents stick with us um and I don't want to go into too much detail um uh I will say that Lily Taylor, even after her character dies, appears in the movie a couple of <laughs> times um uh, and it's, um, it's just, uh, it's nice to see a movie that is so like modest in its ambitions and yet also about something so grand and universal as like the lessons we learn from our parents. Like that's yeah. something that everyone, uh, it's a big idea that everyone can relate to. And yet the movie never tries to be, uh, sweeping about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's directed by a guy named T- Tom Gilroy. um, and uh, it's available on fandor that 's how I watched it. Okay. Um, the Cold lands, yeah, really good stuff,
1: okay. This is a rewatch, and it 's kind of an obvious rewatch, but i it was a very specific type of of rewatch uh Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay oh, yeah. uh, seen it a couple times, yeah um, twice. but I saw it at the Hollywood Bowl with a live orchestra, and here's so i 'm going to talk more about that experience than the movie itself. That I mean, makes sense, yeah. You know, uh, we all know what we think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it was interesting because it was very, cause you know, the movie is playing and the music track is off and the orchestra is just playing it. And what astonished me is how fine tuned that orchestra is because I have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark enough to know basically every musical cue. Uh, and where things even if i'm not consciously aware of it instinctively i just know and uh they always hit it like right on and think about it like if it's uh, one or two seconds can make a a huge difference in a movie and there are times where i just got locked into the movie itself and i was like oh yeah the there are like two dozen musicians right here making this happen. And it really astonished me. Um, and then every, and it made me realize how there's a couple moments here and there in that score where clearly something has been enhanced electronically because it's not, it's not as big as uh performed live. Um But it also in watching it um, and, and listening to it because the music is boosted a little bit from when you, you know, when you would hear mixed in properly
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and you know there's the raiders march there's a, there's marion's theme and then there is the ark theme and i always uh and you'd know it if you heard it um and i always just thought it was kind of the general supernatural theme of the indiana jones movies no it is the Ark, and only the Ark, hmm. um, and that's something that I only realize like as it comes up, and it would only ever come up when people are talking about the Ark or when we actually see it. And as I was thinking in retrospect, I realized, oh yeah, that that is not in Temple of Doom, and that is not in Last Crusade, except when they see a picture of the Ark in like a tomb. And she's like, and he I goes, seen she says, in "So long." I don't love it. Some people, it's their favorite movie because they like the father stuff with right. uh, Sean Connery, which is good, but to me, it like, doesn't hold a candle to the first two, I mm-hmm. think, tonally. I think it feels toothless uh, compared to those first two. Um, but yeah, so I was very happy that I saw it the way that I saw it, yeah. as tends to happen when you see a movie like this. <sighs> there's always the people in the audience who will give a laugh of recognition you know, they'd be like, and there was a guy right behind me who, admittedly, had had a bit a, a bit to drink. It's one of the things I don't like about the Hollywood Bowl. Not an excuse. Um, not an excuse. I agree. Uh, and so every time anytime something would happen, again, something that is not necessarily funny, but something that he recognizes, he'd be like, "He, I'll move away away from the mic." You'd be like, "Ha ha!" That's what he would do. And uh I don't think he was doing it consciously, but at the same time, like, buddy, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah every single one of us knows this uh-huh. why are you the only one making noise it just it <laughs> bothers me so much um and anyway so that that soured me a little bit on it and uh and i was toying with the idea it's like if i had the opportunity to see another movie with a live orchestra would i go and I might, but what it ultimately came down to is that I watched an expensive version of *Raiders of, Z- of the Lost Ark* with an uneven sound mix. Um, <laughs> but I was happy I, academically. I was happy that I yeah. that I saw it that way. But I don't think I would do it again. That's funny.
0: All right, um, I watched the uh, saw a new movie that's coming out um, in the next couple of weeks. It's called *Beach Rats*. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. By Eliza Hitman. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, I should, I should pull up the, the name because the, um, I think Harris Dickinson maybe is the actor's name. Uh, he's, if there's a reason to see it, it's, it's for the performance performances. It's basically about a, um, uh, a, a dude in his, uh, early twenties, um, lives at home, uh, spends his days, um, walking around Coney. Yeah. Harris Dickinson, uh, walking around Coney Island with his, uh, bros and they're absolutely bros of the kind of people that I, uh, would not want to spend time with. Yeah. Uh, just very sort of macho posturing, uh, bros who walk around in tank tops if they're wearing shirts at all. Um, uh, but then, uh, when he's not hanging out with, uh, his bros, what he does is, uh, he meets, you know, goes to meet men that he meets online and to have sex with them because he's, um, very severely closeted mm-hmm. uh and i guess the
1: the now you say men do you mean like
0: like older men older like, men okay. he says um he, he it's, that's actually one of the interesting like things. he says he he picks older men n- not because he has a thing for older men but because they're less likely to know anyone he knows fair um, assumption yes yeah uh so um a- and then the um The story, as it were, I guess, kicks in when he, uh, I guess, finds himself with a girlfriend Mm who doesn't know that he's gay and that he's essentially using as a as a beard, as the saying goes. Um, And uh, the movie is well, uh, you know, well made. It's very well acted. Um, I kind of feel like. I wonder, like, if we've gotten to a point, maybe this is a sign of progress. Um, we've gotten to a point where just like the fact that a character is closeted is not enough to hang a movie on. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I was anticipating you were
1: going to say that. Uh, and so what I'll say is that strange as it may sound, maybe for you and I, mm-hmm. that is a plot that we've seen a bunch, a bunch and, and yeah. thus. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, not who cares, but you know what I mean? Like it's not groundbreaking, but perhaps if you are a young gay guy, maybe you don't get tired of seeing that portrayed and the more specific the story, like, cause that the, the older man thing is a specific thing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. and maybe it, maybe it resonates more like,
0: uh, with people that are not us. Um, so yeah. i don 't know, and I think it eventually gets to a point that i that i that I did find interesting, um but maybe this is not I think this is I- intentional um which I think the movie suggests that what he 's doing to himself by um by, uh, you know by hiding who he is mm-hmm. is a form of violence, and that it may end up spilling out into real world, actual violence. Interesting. Um, and that, yeah, I, I was, I was, once it got to that point. once it got to the point where yeah. like near the end, it gets to the point where it's almost like yeah. you're watching a thriller, or like a suspense movie because mm. you're like, someone's going to get hurt, uh, like physically hurt here. That's um, that, 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 that sort of roped me, roped me back, back into the movie. It's, it is interesting. And it feels
1: when you, when you've been doing this for a while, as we have, uh, obviously not as long as some, but uh, there are movies that are uh, or stories and and prem- uh, premises that would normally be inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. But when we see when you see a bunch of movies after a while, it's like yeah, all right, what what else you got? <laughs> uh, and that's how I feel anytime there's a World War II movie. It's just and I feel it's like this is a real thing. And millions of people died some in the most horrendous way possible. Yeah. And yet somehow it's just like, if you are not bringing anything new to this, yeah, I'm going to assume you're exploiting it.
0: Yeah. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. Whereas this, I don't miss, I don't think I'm to the point with this type of plot yet because I'm sure it's very personal to maybe the director or the writer or something mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, this but case, that is this, this
0: young man, Harris Dickinson is great. I has he say. been
1: in anything? The name doesn't yeah. sound familiar.
0: No, I don't He's uh, apparently, um, uh, British, which I didn't, I wouldn't have known from the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what else he's, it looks like he's been in some, some British stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might
1: not be a, a fair attitude of mine that if, unless you're bringing something new, you're exploiting it. But I, uh, it's a risk. I can't fight it either.
0: Um, and then I, I watched a, um, a, a, James Ivory movie from an ivory merchant, merchant ivory movie however you want to say it from 1983 I've only really seen like the main Merchant Ivory movies like Remains of the Day and Howard's End Um, although I've never actually seen Room with a View which I guess is also supposed to be one of the best ones that's the one I I think of first Um, and I did see The Golden Bowl which is a oh yeah was that like 98, 99? Uh, 99, Um, 2000 I think yeah Um, but no this is one from 1983 I think uh, called Heat and Dust and um, it is set it has two storylines. It's set in uh, early 1920s India, among um, you know British aristocracy mm-hmm. who were uh, part of the uh, the colonial government, um, and interacting with um, local uh, Indian you know royalty, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and the, and there's a woman. We learned from the very first scene this woman Olivia uh, that she. Runs away. She disappears. She's there. Her husband's part of the government. She disappears one day and lives the rest of her life in anonymity. And then we go back. And so the story finds follows two lines. We follow Olivia coming to India and up to the point, uh, parallel edited, if you will, uh, with a story from 1982 where Olivia's great niece, played by Julie Christie, mm-hmm. has come to the same part of India to find out what happened and retrace the steps of her great aunt. Um, and so you've got two, it goes back and forth between the two stories. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it's well made. James Ivory knows how to make movies as evidenced by the classic movies that we, yeah. that we named. Um, uh, but I do think it suffers a little bit from the fact that whenever we're at the, as I love Julia Christie, whenever we're in the Julia Christie story, I'm like, get back to the 1920s. That's just way more interesting. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's, uh, that's obviously a problem, even though it it, it, end, it it ends up where where it ends up it, it eventually you're like, okay, I understand why uh, the Julie Christie story took up so much of the time once we get to the end. But for most of the movie, it feels like this is a framing device that is getting way too much screen time. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how it feels. Mm, yes. like, I, I just want to get back to the, uh, the 1920s and the, costume the outfits and the, yeah. you know in uh, and, and that whole that whole the whole world but uh, i think thematically the the movie sort of uh looks at how has india changed and not changed in mm-hmm. the 60 years in between and then how has england changed and not changed in that time um and that's there's i think Cerebrally interesting stuff, um, but I do think the movie's a little bit too uneven okay. to hmm. fully endorse. Um, All right, you're up. Next
1: up is a rewatch, but it's been six years, so it's, and it's only my second time watching it. It is J.C. Chandor's Margin Call. Have you seen Margin Call?
0: No, I was just thinking about J.C. Chandor, because uh, I was thinking about All is Lost and how, like... Which I haven't actually no, seen, but no, I did see... Yeah. Uh, it's not bad. No one talks about it anymore. Yeah, I (laughs) I
1: think people might have seen it as as like this bit of almost like an experiment or something Mm -hmm. like that, Um, especially wedged in between margin call and a most violent year, which are big, Mm -hmm. uh, heavy on dialogue and that sort of thing. Margin call, especially in watching it again. I love it. I love it so much. It's everything I like. <laughs> it's it's almost it's almost it's a relic for yeah. me of of who I used to be as a movie watcher. Um but I feel like I've moved beyond because this time around I was definitely paying more attention to the visual quality and it is there. I mean it's it's a very well shot film and we very well constructed. Um, but it is a, it is a screenplay first and foremost, I would say. And it is crackling and it moves al- it, It's an ensemble cast and yeah. it moves at a good pace, which is a directorial and an editorial achievement just as much as screen, uh, screenplay. Um, and it has a marvelous cast, uh, talking with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin. Um, we agreed that this is the last great performance by uh, Kevin Spacey. Um, I enjoyed him in Baby Driver, and then I enjoy him in House of Cards. But like, it feels like he's always doing a Kevin Spacey type of thing. Whereas in this, he seems to be shedding a lot of who he is as a performer. Um, and then uh, Paul Bettany is is wow. marvelous in the film, and Jeremy Irons is in the movie, and uh, it and it's interesting uh, because there's just there are it is ensemble but there's if there's a lead, it might be Kevin Spacey, maybe um but they're like there are primary characters, secondary and tertiary, and at each level it's it is uh each one is fascinating, and he as a writer, seems to understand the the hierarchy and the hierarchy isn't necessarily about who is employed by whom um and it is a really me, uh i cannot i believe it was nominated for best screenplay and rightfully so it is uh almost a master class in screenwriting there's one there's one thing that happens that bothers me where characters are because it's it's about you know uh wall street and the and the the crash of 2008 um yeah but uh and so and it gets a little bit technical and there are two times when someone is being explained something and they say like, nah, just put it in English. And they don't say it exactly that way, but it's similar it's similar enough to, for me to be like, "Uh, eh, you went to that twice, and it's because you don't want to get bogged down in the technical details and you don't want us to either, which is fine, but you got to find another way to do that uh, but aside from that it is it is i think a, a a perfect screenplay and a really hell of a movie and I think I need to see it. I think everyone would enjoy it um yeah. I uh, think it's on Netflix. It, I don't remember. I have it on Blu-ray. I'd be happy to lend it to you. I think it's I think uh you dig it the most. <laughs>
0: um it's funny to me that he went from making a movie that has almost no talking in in it, to making a like yeah. hyper verbose ensemble <laughs> movie. Well, no uh now, which one are you
1: talking about? Because Olive's losses after Margin Call is that right? Yes. Okay, then. Well, then he went the other way. Y- yeah. Either and way, then, it's still weird. And then he's like, "All right, that was fun and everything." Back to dialogue, and, yeah. and I do think um, I do think uh, A Most Violent Year is maybe his best film. Did you see? You saw A Most Violent uh, Year, right? Yeah. And yeah.
0: Uh, it reminded me of a tweet that I saw today, which I okay. just pulled up from. Uh, uh, this is uh, at Sid Urbanic. Uh she says, My dad absolutely lives for a most violent year, but is not once but not once has he ever referred to it by the correct title. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh all right. Next up for me, uh I should not have gone well. uh just uh, as you can tell, I'm catching up on like small under the radar movies from the past five years or so. Okay. with Like Empty Hours and the Cold Lands. And so this is a movie that I was definitely interested in, and I'm glad I watched it. Uh, uh, an Australian movie called The Sapphires. Okay. Um, which is loosely based on a true story of a um, sort of girl group of Aboriginal Australian uh, right. uh, young women who ended up going to Vietnam and performing for the troops. Okay. Um, and, um, that, what I just said is basically all that's true from what I understand. Uh, right. the actual details of the story are completely different. Um, and Chris O'Dowd's character is a complete convention. down. Chris O'Dowd, Chris O'Dowd, O'Dowd okay. plays, um, their manager. Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's an odd movie in that it's, uh, good time movie in terms of like it has all this great 60s r&b music and chris o'dowd is uh an actor that i tend to enjoy watching in anything yes yeah. he's got a, a great charismatic uh presence and he's and he's very funny but then it's also like um sometimes devastating in the look at um how how awful aboriginal people have been treated and like you know, the sixties weren't that long ago and mm-hmm. there are things, um, in this backstory that are, um, uh, unbelievable about how, like, um, like there were people who would just come to Aboriginal, like neighborhood or town, like villages essentially. And like steal young kids that had light enough skin to pass. And like, adopt them out or you know or, or, or whatever um that's like that is what happened to one of the girls in this group like she didn't see her sisters for like 10 years because she was like taken away and raised as a white girl yeah um uh, it's a it's a the movie does not always get the balance right like yeah. uh, of these of these various uh, elements but it is nonetheless like absolutely like entirely watchable. Okay. Um. It's a very well edited movie in terms of just like it, it just moves along very, very quickly. Um. It, you can, the, you can tell like the Vietnam stuff, you can tell, you know, that when they're trying to make it like, oh, they're in danger. There's a battle nearby. It's like very cheap looking effects. Sure. Um. It's a, it's a scrappy movie and maybe I'm, I'm giving it more, credit than it deserves because i like uh you know um respect it's sort of uh shaggy dog uh type of uh, uh, scrappiness as i said Mm -hmm. um it's an interesting movie that is probably worth watching i would say okay um but not perfect uh what else and then this is just a short film that i watched um because another thing i've been doing been listening to movie journals over the past little while is uh um, watching more DW Griffith movie movies okay. and there's a movie called the lesser evil um, uh which is only about 12 or 13 minutes long that you can watch for free via Amazon Prime um and it's just about a a, a woman who gets uh, kidnapped and taken on board a boat um and then while she's on board the boat there's a mutiny so the lesser evil is like uh you know which side does she choose the mutineers or the captain mm-hmm. like Neither one of them is necessarily a great choice for her. Indeed. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a, I guess it's a nice little movie. I don't know. It's on Amazon Prime. Just sure. watch it. It's like <laughs> 13 minutes of your day. What's What do you got to do?
1: Fair enough. Most right. people, not much. Um, so I saw a film directed by an uh, actor. Justin Chan, who, uh, has been in a bunch of stuff, but he, uh, is probably best known for playing a character in, uh, the Twilight films. Uh, this movie is called Gook. Can I ask, how sure. did you see it? Oh, I saw it as a function of my internship. Um, oh, okay. So I'm allowed to talk about it.
0: No, uh, you're allowed to talk about it either okay. way. It's, it, it just, you know, but, uh. I was bummed we didn't get a review for it for the website. I was supposed to see it this weekend at... this past weekend at NextFest and NextFest. Right. Um, I only, you know, there are some reviews. I, I reviewed Lemon and Golden Exits and LA Times, but I did not get to right. see as much at Netflix, as I, at ne- Netflix. Next Fest as I had hoped to. So I was bummed that Battle of Retention didn't get a review of this movie that I'm dancing around saying the name of. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. But,
1: hey, you know what? There's always the possibility that we will be able to engage with Gook on a much deeper level sometime in the next couple weeks. Oh, that sounds good. Like- um, anyway... Uh, it is a very good movie. Um, I, I don't think this... I think I think Justin Chan has made uh, other films, uh, but this is his highest profile. And it's still very low budget, but it is a very effective film and one that I actually think takes a great deal of courage because it is about the Rodney King L.A. riots mm-hmm. from the perspective of a Korean store owner. Right. And... The riots looked very different to them because their stores were targeted, and often they were targeted uh, as individuals by these mobs. Uh, And you know, I believe in the Q and A afterwards, Justin Chan mentioned that uh, uh, that like there was just an odd, there was an odd collection of Korean uh, store owners and that the biggest financial brunt, you know, the people that took the biggest financial brunt of all of those riots were these, these people. And in watching it, uh, and also they are treated very much as outsiders in those neighborhoods by Hispanics and by African Americans. And so as I was watching it, I had this thought of like, you know, the way, Black people are depicted in this people could see as racist, but I thought like, yeah, but if that's how it is, and if this is from a very specific perspective of people that are targeted by a group of people that happen to be black
0: mm-hmm.
1: I guess that's how it is you know i guess i i this is Justin Chan was raised in the area, and I believe his father was uh father or uncle i forget uh was one of these uh, yeah. store owners and
0: no, yeah, I read. There's a thing in the Daily weekly about him today. It's, okay, yeah. yeah, his father's uh, store was looted. Yes, uh, his father was not. Yeah, was unharmed, thankfully. Yeah. Not and all. And his father uh, acts in the film as
1: yeah, well. Yeah, I read that, and uh, it's a wonderful performance. Um, and so I just had the thought: it's like it's very interesting, you know. And and what with like the the Oscars so white campaign uh, a year or two ago. Um, there has been a lot of talk about representation, general representation, and it tends to focus primarily on, on African-Americans and to a lesser extent, Hispanics with Asians being mostly ignored. And so he thought like, well, this is an actual story that I am uniquely qualified to tell. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell it. And I think I just, and I like that. I appreciate it. I like that yeah, people in the people in the screening were not a hundred percent receptive to it. Um, and I like that he just stuck to his guns and uh hmm. no no pun intended there. Um because there's some gunplay in the film. Um that this is a story he felt passionate about making. He does not go out he doesn't go out of his way to demonize anybody. In fact, he goes out of his way to try to humanize everybody that he can, but it is a tough situation, like when dealing with a riot, even if the riot is justified, which I think an argument could be made that it was, um, people get swept up in it and it's hard when you're looking at at the story from that person's perspective it's hard not to see the rioters as the antagonists and and i like that he wasn't afraid to to steer into that a little bit so it's a very good movie i really really liked it one of the things that people did not respond to because at these screenings that my that my internship is a part of it's mostly uh older folks and uh there's a lot of language enough that even i took note hmm. and language is not a thing that tends to bother me but the way it is there you know shouted at the top of lungs and such I it's like wow there, it didn't bother me but i noted it and yeah. and there were a couple people about 20 minutes in there's this couple behind me it's like i don't i don't like this language do you want to go it's like yes <laughs> let's go
0: <laughs> and so and go for yeah i felt angry at them um okay Uh, All right. Uh, I saw a movie that um, is coming out at the beginning of October, I think. It's called Barracuda. Um, It has nothing to do with the song Barracuda. What about the fish? Um, It barely even has anything to do with that. Uh, It's a metaphorical title. It's interesting Um, because when you said Barracuda, I thought, huh, what? That's from Jaws. No, I, I don't remember that. Sorry. Um, don't say sorry. I, uh, hopefully, uh, I'm hopefully, i sure plenty of people got that. Uh, and they, on the, on the they probably weren't stupid. super appreciative, but I, mean, I interrupted um, you. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, that's quite all right. I do it to you all the time, remember? Um, <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, Alison Tolman, uh, the actress who was in the first season of Fargo. Um, yes. So um, she plays a woman who's, uh, who, who's, whose father was a sort of... Um, uh, noted, uh, country musician, not like a super famous one, but like mm-hmm. of the sort of, um, like, uh, Townes Van Zandt ilk. that sort sure. of like, uh, um, seventies Texas, uh, y- you know, uh, outlawish guy Clark type stuff. Anyway, nice. Um, Townes Van Zandt is mentioned by name in the movie. Um, uh, and so, um, that's who her father was. He has passed away at this point. Uh, and then one day this young British woman shows up on her doorstep in, in Austin and says, hi, I'm your half sister. Uh, turns out, um, your dad, uh, had, uh, a, a daughter in England when he was touring there. And whenever he'd tour there, he'd spend time with her and they made an album there where he was like living with them for, uh, a summer at one point. And so, um, this, uh, this British woman named Sinaloa has come to Austin to, uh, find out more about, uh, her father and where, um, where, where, uh, where he comes from and, um, her presence is, uh, received with different levels of welcome by different people in this community. Um, both because some of them don't want to think about what this, you know, the fact that this guy had a secret, you know, family, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and also because she's a bit of an oddball. And I think that's the thing that has increasingly stuck with me. I should look up the 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 woman's name uh, who plays Sinaloa because it's a... The movie sort of, at times, tips into being like a horror movie um, because of how odd she is and how much she unsettles people and it's a fantastic performance Uh, her name is sophie reed uh this is another one i don't want to say too much about like where the movie goes from from there um but it's uh it's the kind of you know it's a super independent movie and uh it's the kind of things the kind of stories that you want to be told want to see told by independent movies you know you and i have talked about like Indie light we've talked yeah. about, which I've also read people refer to it as Indie wood. Oh, okay. Um, which is like movies that are made on a smaller budget, but there is, there's, there's nothing especially challenging yeah, yeah. in them. Um, this is a movie that a major studio would never make okay. because it's too weird and it's too unsettling. And this character, um, is, uh, it, it's, 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 it's bizarre and it's a, it's a great performance. from so, so read, so if this, you know, I think it's opening in New York and Los Angeles in the beginning of October, I'm not sure where else it's going, but if you get a chance to see Barracuda, uh, it'll be worth your time. It's a cool little movie. All right. Um, and then what is next for me? I watched a recent movie that is, uh, it's still in theater some places, but it's also, um, available to rent, uh, from Amazon and iTunes. And because I'm increasingly, uh, sick of going to see movie movies in the theater, I know that's a bad thing to say, but, uh, I get it. Uh, but, uh, I, I stayed home and rented a movie. It's called person to person. And it's, this is a, oh, yeah. one of those single day ensemble comedies where stories overlap, mm-hmm. uh, in New York city. You've got Michael Sarah and, uh, Abby Jacobson and you've got Philip Baker hall. And, um, um, Tavi Gevinson, um, who was, uh, you know her from enough said she's, uh, oh. Julie, who drives his daughter's friend. Yes. Okay. Um, she's terrific. Um, and then, um, a couple of other, uh, actors, the, um, Oh, um, from the wire and Twenty Fifth hour, the guy who goes, shit. it's, uh, Isaiah Whitlock, Whitlock, Isaiah yeah. Whitlock. Yes. He's in it. um, and Ben Rosenfield, who, uh, are you still watching Twin Peaks? You're behind I Twin know Peaks? who he
1: is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's,
0: you say still as
1: though he's in the first episode. <laughs> he's in the first two, isn't he? Or, I, I don't know. I watched them back to back. I feel okay. like he's in the first I, two I, episodes. Yeah. I watched them back to back. I think it's the first one, but I'm not sure. Oh no, it's,
0: it's both. Yes. Okay. And um, no more. <laughs> well, no spoilers. I don't want to give spoilers. Oh, stay tuned for Twin Peaks. Uh, oh, okay. Um, anyway, uh, and then another uh, guy who's a f- like a first time actor apparently who's friends with the director um whose name is like Benny Cooper Smith or something anyway so this is I, I just gave them the whole cast basically there's a bunch of overlapping uh stories you've in in some ways you've sort of seen this before mm-hmm. in in broad strokes but it has a real uh idiosyncrasy to it that i found very watchable and very enjoyable um and a lot of it comes down to this guy, Benny, uh, hmm. who is uh, a, uh, a guy who scrapes by his living, collecting and then reselling like rare jazz records. Hmm. And his entire story is that he gets a call in the morning, like some guy's got this rare jazz record and he's going to go get it. And it just brings him on uh, this adventure um, in which he's trying to get this record, but also he's wearing a new shirt for the first time and he keeps asking people, if he looks good in the shirt, he's not sure about the shirt yet. He liked it on the rack. He's not sure if it's him. Um, uh, it's a, it's a really cool little movie. It's sort of, if it has a plot, it's sort of centered around this, um, uh, there's a murder mystery, but that only involves the Michael, Sarah, Abby Jacobson story and the, uh, Phil Baker hall, Isaiah Whitlock story. Um, uh, and then Michaela Watkins plays, uh, the wife of the murdered man. Okay. Um, who, I didn't. T- I, I'm not including it on here, um, uh, uh, but I told I told you off Mike that I also rewatched Austin Powers: International yeah. Man of Mystery, which I don't know if you remember the beginning, the prologue, the 1967 uh, Mrs. Uh, well, I can't remember her name now, uh, mm-hmm. Kensington. Mrs. Yes, Kensington is yes. played by Mimi Rogers. Yeah, is there. Has there any research done into the idea that Mimi Rogers is just immortal and changed her name to Michaela Watkins? (laughs) Right. Uh, Don't they look remarkably alike? I could see it. I I always think that. That's interesting. Um, Like when Michaela Watkins was on like Children's Hospital the first time, I was like, Mimi Rogers looks good. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. So you're saying it's
1: like a Twilight situation where she just every about 40, 50 years, she has to change her name, yeah, exactly. but she's the same.
0: I don't know anything about Twilight, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what's happened. Uh, okay. anyway, they look remarkably alike is the okay. point that I'm trying to make. Uh, anyway, back to person to person. I don't have anything else to say about it. Uh, mm-hmm. except that it's, uh, I'm glad it's the kind of movie that I'm glad is available to rent on Amazon because it's a, uh, uh, it's a, completely nice way to end or to spend uh, 90 minutes um and uh, i would say it's despite dealing with uh, murder and some um sort of uh, cynical or, or or some pessimistic views of hu- certain parts of humanity mm-hmm. it's a actually a really humanistic uh and kind of uplifting movie mm-hmm. and uh at some point I'm going to stop being surprised by this but Michael Cera is fucking great
1: yeah he's uh, I'm really interested to see where he's where he goes from here because the last few years he's Mm -hmm. turned into I mean in what entertainment right yeah that's a one scene Uh, but it's astonishing yeah Um, and then I liked what he did in, in Scott Pilgrim. And it's just, I, I like that he's finding some new notes within his persona yeah, or not his persona. That's it's not that, but within his range.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I talked about, he's really good in lemon, even though I didn't like lemon that much here. He's, he's like a specifically like, I, I feel like I, I try to avoid using the term like cringy because i feel like it's been overused um and it's sort of a lazy there's a there's a lazy brand of like awkwardness comedy which is what i think lemon unfortunately is a lot of the time but there's something about michael sarah's character in person to person that is like so embarrassing but in a way that it's like i felt bad because i was like i maybe have been like that sure because he's like He plays, so he's a reporter um, and Abby Jacobson plays a woman who's just hired as a, I guess you'd say like a cub reporter who's following him as he's tracking down these leads on this murder. Mm -hmm. And he clearly is like into her and is trying to impress her. And it's very embarrassing, uh, and very idiosyncratic, but, uh, no. also kind of relatable. Uh, our friend from across the pond, Daryl Tufts, he actually
1: wrote about the film, um, over at More Than One Lesson. So you can read about it there as well. Okay. Um, it always fascinates me, by the way, how mu- how detached I am <clears throat> from film Twitter as opposed to you. Okay. Like cringy. It's like, oh, I, Okay. I guess that's a term. Just like uh oh what was the other one that you said recently? Oh, bonkers. Bonkers. People yeah. Gotta stop I had no bonkers. I had no idea. Yeah. that these uh these terms are so overused. Uh someone did email me on Facebook though. Uh, they had uh, they had changed our logo to say uh bonkership pretension. Uh I meant to <laughs> forward that on to you. Um anyway, okay, so is it my turn?
0: Yeah, it is your turn. Okay.
1: Next up for me is Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky which I liked, and at times loved, um, and at at times uh, did not care for. But by and large, I'd say it's it's good and extremely enjoyable. Um, There is... I think I have neglected to appreciate uh, how great Steven Soderbergh is with pacing. (laughs) Um, Whether it be Ocean's Eleven and just the fast pace of that, or traffic and the ability to just juggle all these characters and keep me interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just something about the way he puts a movie together as far as pacing that I can't, I mean, uh, Josh Long reviewed the film for, uh, for battleship Retention, mm-hmm. And I agree with some of the stuff that he says, but to me, it's like, I can't see how this would not be an enjo- and an enjoyable film. Like it, like its baseline is a is it a b or a b minus like that's that's where it starts and then it goes beyond that you know um i just found myself smirking and smiling throughout i didn't laugh a lot but it was just such a pleasant experience in some ways in most ways Uh, anytime we're dealing with the, the heist, like he just knows how to, he can put together a movie like that in his sleep at this point. Um, I think I did have maybe some issues here and there. And I think Josh did as well with it, with, you know, when we're, when we're watching a comedy about the South, uh, you know, like anytime I would do a dumb guy voice, I inherently dropped into my Southern accent, Mm -hmm. which I felt bad about. Not that bad, but I felt bad about it. Um, And then, uh, and I think it's just, there's something about, and I don't know how Hollywood, uh, Logan Lucky is, except it's full of Hollywood actors and by an established director. So I think it's not an art house film. Um, so I'm comfortable saying Hollywood that like, this is Hollywood depicting Southerners. Oh boy. (laughs) Like now, while these Southerners are smart enough to pull off an almost perfect heist, You know, uh, so it's like, okay, well it's, I guess it's showing that they are competent and there are things that they care about that everybody can relate to. You know, when you hear those accents and you hear the way these characters relate to each other, it's hard not to see them as dim, Mm. uh, somehow. And I feel like it's a, a bit condescending, I would say from time to time. That said, I still like the performances. I think most of the actors, most mm-hmm. are not playing their characters that way. I don't think they're judging their characters at all. And I'd say Adam driver, especially brings uh, a surprising pathos to, to his character that I appreciated. Um, and then I also in a supporting role, Dwight Yoakam mm. is delightful. And he, very few people do deadpan as great as he does. And in this he he really he's the warden of a of a prison and just the way he carries himself is is astonishing i need to think about whether or not he was in the film for 15 minutes or more because <laughs> okay. he's he's like he, he has rocketed to the top of my if if less than he's rocketed to the top of my bruce mcgill in the insider award for best performance under 15 minutes um <laughs> And
0: I like that you referred to by the entire name.
1: Well, what choice do I
0: have? you're the one who christened it.
1: That's right. Uh, and so I, I do recommend the movie. Uh, it's, it's not perfect and there and there's times it's a little shaggy in a way I don't really like where it's like, Oh, you have, this seems superfluous in a way that I don't really care for. Like Seth MacFarlane's in it is like this British, uh, stock car racing sponsor. Okay. Um. And he serves, as far as I can tell, no purpose except hmm. to just be there that's, and be a British Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, uh, that's weird. We don't need that.
0: It, we don't need that. I agree with <laughs> you. So um, your thing about the southern accent or whatever reminds me of of all things a Jeff Foxworthy bit. Do you remember okay. this uh, about how like basically you're talking about southerners can be smart, but they just sound dumb. Yeah. And he was like, imagine if you were. About to have brain surgery, and the doctor came in before to tell you to talk to you about the surgery, and started with, "Now what we gonna do is?" <laughs> I always thought that was funny. You know, uh, I'm not a huge Jeff Foxworthy fan, but I remember that being funny. Here's the thing: uh, I this was years ago.
1: Uh, my friends in uh, Denver had wa- had rented like the the blue collar comedy tour like DVD, they and so they they thought it was hilarious, and they threw it in, and I was like, guys. I don't like this type of comedy. And also, I've been living with these accents for a while because I was living in Missouri at the time. Right. Southern Missouri, pardon me. And um, and then went through and I don't find... I, Ron White's okay. I didn't find Bill Engvall that particularly funny. I don't find uh, Larry the Cable Guy that funny. Jeff Foxworthy is the essentially the headliner of the four. So he goes up and he delivered, he delivered jokes that I was like that I found myself laughing at in spite of myself, and it goes to that idea that when you're experienced enough, as a comedian, you can take a joke that is only mildly funny at best mm-hmm. and get people to laugh at it because you know how to deliver it. Yeah. And Jeff Foxworthy is a pro, yeah. and he's been at this a long time, and he can deliver a joke where it's just like, I don't think I even agree with the premise, but see here, <laughs> I, here I am laughing.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: So anyway, uh, Logan Lucky, yeah, uh, I'd say check it out.
0: Uh, all right, moving on to uh, Tyler, the best movie that's out in theaters this week, at least in New York, uh, L.A. and New York uh, this weekend, um, and hopefully rolling out across the country and hopefully uh, you know racking up awards. Michael Almirada's Marjorie Prime. Okay, Tyler, I know you're a fan of Michael Almirada. We both liked Experimenter. Oh yes, uh, okay. This is a terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is based on a stage play, and you can you can tell it's based on a stage play, but it it unlike a lot of times it doesn't hurt the movie. The movie takes okay. place almost entirely in one room. Um, but it doesn't feel like necessarily a play adaptation. You could, you could have told me this was an original screenplay okay. that happens to take place almost entirely in one room. I would have right. believed it. Uh, and the premise is that, um, uh, Lois Smith, do you know the actress Lois oh, yeah. Smith? Um, who apparently also played the role, um, uh, on stage, uh, is a woman, uh, it's, we don't know for sure what year it is, but it's the mid like 21st century, you know, around 2050 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, a woman who is um, uh, going, you know, developing Alzheimer's, uh, and she has a companion that uh, is meant to keep her mind sharp, which is a a hologram of her husband at the age that she has chosen to remember him in his early, early forties played by John Hamm. Okay. I did not know
1: that was the, uh, yeah, that was the premise.
0: Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I think like, uh, it, her husband m- has passed away. I would assume. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, I feel insulted
1: if I were an old man. It's like, <laughs> no, I prefer to think of you this way.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's a movie that it's very, uh, it, it it put me in mind of a lot of uh Alain Resnay, I I don't know how you say his name, movies, um, not in style but in in subject matter. Because with last year Marion Bad, Hiroshima Amour, Jatem Jatem, Muriel, like that guy made movies about memory. And this mm. is that's what exactly what this movie is about, which is the idea that um um our memories are us but they're also not entirely true we curate them sure. and we also present them to other people in a way the way that we want the other people to know about us mm-hmm. um and so uh memory is something that is um not reliable in terms of an actual account of the facts but is a, but is a, you know reliable in terms of making up our identity and who mm-hmm. we are uh uh, and um the movie is mostly just a series of conversations it's it's actually i've named two people but it's actually a uh forehander, is that a term okay. um where sounds
1: uh, inappropriate but okay
0: um uh gina davis plays lois smith's uh daughter okay and uh tim robbins plays gina smith's husband gina davis's husband okay so, got it yeah um and then there's also a um uh, a nurse uh played by stephanie anduhar uh, who's only he's in a handful of scenes, but she's good um, and uh you know junior Davis is a little bit skeptical of this technology sure. and the fact that like this is her father, but isn't her father, yeah. you know, whereas Tim Robbins is much more like this is helpful, this is therapeutic, you know, yeah. and the you know the the a i will learn as it goes, yeah um to be you know more like her father, but it won't be more like her father. It'd be more, more like the version of the husband that Lois Smith wants. Yeah. Um, and so, little uh, Solaris like, uh, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to, you know, um, the things, there are developments that I don't want to get into. Um, but, um, you know, they can all see, right. You know, Walter and, and, um, Lois Smith is not the only one to interact with him. Um, it's, it's really good. What I want to talk about, And I talked about this in my review that's up this weekend. Um, I've I've often said that I'm like a little bit uh, trepidatious to discuss acting too in depth. Okay. But I think uh, uh, I'll start with a hyperbolic statement. I think this is the best performance John Hamm has ever given. Okay. Uh, And I was thinking about the idea that acting in a movie can be broken down. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different objectives, but can be broken down into sort of two main camps, which is... Serving the character, and serving the film. Yeah, and so you could say of these four characters, four main characters that are named, John Hamm is the only one playing a character who isn't human and is therefore almost by definition the least dynamic character in the movie. And so that, in that way, it would seem like well, that's the most straightforward role. But he is also. To, this is a sci fi movie that has almost no other science fiction trappings. Mm-hmm. The entire premise, science fiction premise, and world building, to use that term, uh, of the movie is on John Hamm's shoulders. He yeah. has to sell you on this uh, and make you, A, understand what the premise is, and B, believe it. And he does a phenomenal job. It's a perfect performance. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: I I do know what you mean. It's something that I've only thought about in the last couple of years. Is this idea of an actor having to do two things, and not like two human things, like contradicting emotions. I mean, right. like. So I've been thinking about this because of the mo- because of. Uh, you'll hear about this on our uh, main episode coming up in a few days uh i've been thinking a lot about aliens okay and i think i have not appreciated and i think i mentioned this on our commentary as well um i think i've come to appreciate what lance henrickson is doing because he has to play who bishop is and then he also has but he has to have room in there for who we and ripley think he might be we know what the android was in the first film and we need to have, and there's a bit of red herring there. That like this guy might not be super trustworthy because of what he is. And so he has to play this kind of childlike eager to please thing while also being just detached enough that the suspicion is nurtured throughout the entire film. Um, to the point where there's the moment where she's trying to run from the, the queen with Mm -hmm. newt and the ship is gone. And in that moment she thinks Bishop has finally done what I thought he was going to do. He's left for whatever reason. And then when he shows up again, like it is a big triumphant moment and then the queen kills him, you know, Uh, or whatever you, he's still alive, you know, uh, as a robot. But, um, but yeah, that idea and how interesting that the first place my mind went was somebody who's artificial yeah. and that's exactly what you're talking about as well. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Cause I, I uh, have not loved John Hamm's film work.
0: Yeah, um, I, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I do. I think he's very good in baby driver. All um, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see him as a part like this.
0: Yeah. And, uh, the, and the, film. the
1: story sounds great in general.
0: Yeah. Um, I've got another one. First, we, yeah. I forgot to do a uh, celebrity sighting guessing game. Oh, okay. Although I might have told you. Did I tell you who I, whom I saw at Pitfire Pizza? You did. And now oh, I don't I did? remember. Did I tell who. you on the podcast? Because I want to make I you guess. I believe you told me on the podcast, oh, no, but no. I'm not
1: 100%. Did I tell you who I saw at the landmark? I think I did. Uh, See, he was seeing Dunkirk. I don't remember if you did. Was it Kevin McDonald? no you mean the director or the actor uh the the, they were hanging out together in the hall okay yeah yeah uh uh, no it was not okay i'm not gonna do the guessing game i I, I I feel feel like i have told you already listeners
0: through it again if i did if we did this guessing game already yeah i feel like we didn't maybe i just told you anyway you might have yeah um okay who'd you see at landmark john voight you did tell me that. Okay, yeah. Uh, I saw Lance Reddick. At, Lance uh, Reddick, that's at right. Fire yes, pizza. yes. And then I had, a, I had another celebrity saying last weekend at um, Trader Joe's, but this is, if, even if you know who this is, you don't care. Um, I, because I might. Uh, well, he's a Broadway actor who also was famous for one television role for a show you didn't watch. Uh, oh. His name's Matthew Morrison. He was on Glee. Oh, I know who he is. Yeah. I can picture him. Yeah, I saw him at Trader Joe's. <laughs> How's he doing? Uh, he was sweaty. It was a very hot day. Fair enough. He came in. Uh, yeah, yeah. He Gleaning. was very sweaty. Yeah. Uh, all right. Another one more movie from. Well, and I have two more movies. Yes. But one more, and then back to you. Uh, I saw the new Lake Bell movie. I do until I don't. Um, I heard not good things. Yeah. It's not like I loved in a world. If you remember from our top 10 of 2013, it was one of my favorite movies of that year. And I liked Uh, in a world and was eager to see what she did next. I guess I'm not now. Yeah. And it does. It does. It just doesn't feel like growth. Um, uh, If I want to be nice about it, I will say it does some nice things. Uh, Well, it has a great cast. Uh, It's about three couples um, played by her and Ed Helms are one. Okay. Uh, our friend Wyatt Cenac and Amber Heard are okay. another. And then Paul Reisner and Mary Steenburgen. Oh, you can't go wrong with those two. Yeah. You, you can't, they're fucking great in the movie. Uh, and then the premise is that, uh, a British actress named Dolly Wells, um, plays a, a documentarian who has come to this Florida town that has a high divorce rate or something, I think is the premise to, uh, make a movie about how marriage is an outdated concept or just make a documentary oh, okay. about how marriage is an outdated concept. Um, uh, what I will say about it is that um, something that I do like is that it's the rare romantic comedy about couples who are already together. Yeah, which is not something you see very often. I like that. Um, it, it does weirdly. It it weirdly has some mean things to say about documentarians who uh, try to push for results, the results that they want. I like that. But, but it also like it, it like. I also like that, I guess, but it doesn't seem. It seems that to not fit with the tone of the rest of the movie. Oh, okay. In a way, um, like the Vivian character seems like such a plot device. She's just there to be sort of the, uh, the the what's the term? Like an observer effect. Mm-hmm. Like you change something by observing right. it, and so she becomes the catalyst for the, these couples to like suddenly, you know, re-examine their relationships and uh, decide where they're where they want to be with stuff. Um, it's got a bunch of great moments in it um it's very sweet by the end uh i think and it's got uh, as i mentioned it's got a great cast um but it uh it doesn't feel like it it, it, had, it doesn't have the the sharpness of in a world mm-hmm. um and it also just it's it's almost a full two hours and there's so much in the first uh 30 to 45 minutes that could be that that could be cut down. It just feels like it's way too ramshackle. Yeah. Um, uh, and maybe this is part of the director being one of the stars because I think Lake Bell and Ed Helms are given, uh, disproportionately large amounts of screen time, especially Mm -hmm. in the early setup. Like, it's like, I get why you're unhappy. I I understand business is failing and you are having trouble having kids. I get that. I don't need three scenes. All of them over five minutes long, telling me uh, yeah. that setup, and then there's also a really sort of uh, embarrassingly lame subplot about a uh, massage parlor that gives happy endings. Got it. Um, that we didn't need, uh, and so I feel like you could make, uh, the, you know, like I said, it's it's, it's like an hour and fifty five minutes. I feel like you could make a oh, yeah. really good uh, eighty five to ninety minute movie out of this yeah. um, by cutting out some of that fat at the beginning and. Um, trimming down on the documentarian character. I have a question about those massage parlors. Not I, that I, look, I don't know the answer.
1: Yeah, I, not that I'm looking for one, but this is a listeners is a question for the room. Uh, you're, I like to treat listeners as if they were in the room. Right. The concept of the massage parlor with the happy ending is so accepted. That the impression I have gotten is that you can go to just any, that they all have them. Like it's such a, okay. like it's not legal, uh, it's, I, uh, I do, it, but the way people talk about it, it might as well
0: be. Like it's part of the massage, and it's like, I don't think it's officially right. No, I think you probably get in trouble if you tried it most places, but I don't know. Yeah. Because I've never even gotten a regular massage. I don't have like people touching me
1: yeah and I uh, I have gotten a regular massage and the thing is but there's no way to ask the masseuse certainly at the moment to be like let me ask you something Are these happy because then it sounds like I'm hinting at something but like that's not the situation uh-huh. it's more just we all know about this uh-huh. is it common I it it seems common but maybe it's just because of movies and TV shows yeah
0: curvy enthusiasm is yeah. the first thing I think of yeah, yeah. I don't um, know I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a
1: subculture I'm not familiar with. I must say. Um, okay.
0: But yeah. All right. What did you, uh, you have one more. Yes. Okay. And then I have one more last for me is Garth Davis's
1: lion, which I saw last, uh, which came out last year, but I saw, uh, last night in fact, um, at a rooftop cinema screening in downtown LA which I enjoyed a lot. It's one of the things that you wear the headphones.
0: Oh, um, so that was fun because you can tune everybody else out, which I like. Um, but then the, the killer can sneak up on you. seems like a perfect setting for a slasher movie.
1: Well, that's only a problem if you are not the killer. (laughs)
0: Uh, but when you're me,
1: it's great. Right. I have so many pocket watches, David. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. Listeners know, and I haven't gone into a lot of detail, I guess, but listeners know that uh, Jen and I are very slowly but surely working towards adopting a kid. Um, By which you mean
0: a little goat.
1: Yes. It is. Look, California is so overregulated with wildlife. Are you kidding me? Uh We'll get there, though. Yeah. Um, And so... hate you so much um but anyway so last year jen saw the film uh in theaters uh with a friend and then came back and said hey you should see this movie which and i wanted to i like a lot of the people involved and uh but i'd also not seen great reviews um or great reviews for the first half and then so so for the second half which is uh now that i've seen it i get it
0: that's exactly what i've
1: heard. that said having gone through a lot of these classes and jen and i are not going to be adopting a kid the way that the couple does in lion we're going to be adopting just a kid in the county you know not from another another country um right that said i i had such a difficult time removing myself from this whole thing um Sure. because the idea of of the the young couple as this kid is like getting off the plane and just to see the the expression on their face like great performances by david Wenham and, and nicole kidman as one would assume um and then the way that they're showing the kid around their house now jen and i are not planning on getting a uh, I say getting a kid I'm sorry there's there's correct terminology and apparently someone somewhere expects me to repli- to uh to correct other people on terminology which I don't want to do um like it's 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 a whole thing anyway um you say what you're gonna say it doesn't it's not gonna offend me okay. um and so so Jen and I are not planning on, on adopting a a kid that is like four and we can show around the the house and say things to, um, but nonetheless, just the, the way that the characters are carrying themselves and when, and then they adopt a second kid who is immediately a a problem. Like he's gone through some shit and he immediately starts like screaming and like lashing out. And, but the way that they hold that they like hug him and are patient with him, uh, their whole, you know, throughout his entire life and 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 their entire lives is something that I it made me tear up, and Jen was tearing up and all that. Um, but one of the things that really struck me is that in the latter half, now that the kid has grown up to be Dev Patel, um, it it you can just tell because it's based on a true story, and you can tell that the writer was really trying to lock into the actual story and so there are beats that feel very real based on my extremely limited experience but also just hearing testimonials from people that have adopted children and one of the things is that like when you adopt this is true of of any of any parent i would assume but with an an adopted kid like you're going to get so many people and I have saying like, Oh, good for you. That's great. You're like people being very nice to you, Mm -hmm. especially when they just, they find out that you can't have kids and this is what you're doing. So they're trying to like really reassure you. Um, but, uh, the, the, the people at like the adoption agency and the, and through the County and stuff, they say like, in the end, it really is not about you and how you feel like you had you and your wife you can support each other if the kid is being is being difficult but that kid is not there for you is not there to make your life complete is not there to make you feel better about yourself you are there for them yeah and there are moments in the latter half of line that i found very interesting along those lines um and I have su- I'm have having a very difficult time removing all of this stuff and these classes I've been taking from my experience of Lion. Yeah. Uh, so as a film, I would say I recommend it. I can absolutely see what people are talking about in that second half, especially a complete waste of Rooney Mara. I'll say that. Oh, She's wow. essentially his girlfriend who's supposed to be alternately uh, supportive and not. Uh, and then back to supportive. Spoilers. Um, and... It's just one of those things that like and Jen and I were talking about, it and she she said the same thing, and that if they had cast a lesser known actress, we would have i think we would have known to not hold that character up as like we would not have expected more from the character, but when it's Rooney Mara, sure we feel like she's going to be a bigger role, and she really isn't, but I think performances are good all around I think it's it's cut together in a in a really good way, but that first half is definitely better and more in, intriguing than the second half
0: so uh, I want to be clear that your personal what you brought to it personally made you enjoy the movie more
1: yes it, okay. uh, yeah, I guess yeah enjoy I was more engaged I was more invested than most people probably are okay. and I don't mean to say like, like ah well you don't understand if you know right. not everyone's going to have this experience but So that's good you know because
0: personal experience can go the other way yeah, absolutely. Anyways, the, this is obviously nothing compared to your situation, but, uh, everyone really liked Sarah Pauly's movie away from her. Was that almost like 10 years right, ago? Yeah. Now? Also with Julie Christie, I believe. Right. Um, was, was it Julie Christie? I feel like no, but maybe it was, isn't it her and, and Gordon, Gordon Pinsett? Pinsett? Yeah. I think it's Julie Christie. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. Um, but I remember is that I worked for a year and a half or so yeah. at a, at a nursing home that, um, specifically you know uh, at least had a wing specifically uh devoted to people with severe alzheimer's yeah um and i kept being like what is this nursing home doing this is not the way this is done like the whole yeah. time i was watching the movie it was like i know people are, like like this movie and i'm sure the relationship yeah. is i i couldn't get past like that's not the, this is not good for anyone
1: well it's yeah and it's how i feel anytime i see like christianity almost every time i see christianity depicted as i, I want to say like have you ever met a Christian? Cause I know a bunch of them and they don't act like this. I have met some that have sure, uh-huh. but like, come on people. Uh, it just, so
0: yes, it has ruined
1: things for me, uh, as well.
0: Um, all right. Uh, I'll wrap up the movie portion with a movie. Oh, I'm so disappointed to bring up this movie to you because I know how much you like this movie. Oh, was a lot. Um, and I'd been meaning to watch it for over 10 years. Oh boy. Uh, there's a reason it was on my mind this week. um, I watched Robert Altman's *Secret Honor*.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, couldn't really get into it. I think that well, it's not a, it's not an easy one to get into. I'm not blaming you. Well,
0: I know it's a stage play, and I could yeah. see it working better. And that apparently way. a
1: much longer stage play.
0: Yeah, I read that, yeah. which is crazy. It's insane. Um, but I feel like I, I just feel like uh, Philip Baker Hall's performance, like it. It leaves the stratosphere 10 minutes into the movie and it's just too, it's too much for me a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And and I, and I also wonder if some of it is just like, um, when the stuff of, you know, the Nixon presidency was fresh in people's minds. Sure. This was, it came out 10 years after he resigned and now it's been, you know, over 40 or no. Yeah. Over 43 years, right. Since he resigned. Yeah. Because it was seventy four, um, uh, I, I, I had a trouble finding a way uh, in, into it. I don't know. I liked the uh, I liked the set and costume design. I liked no. a lot of the stuff with the camera and the um, both the camera that is shooting the movie and yeah. the camera in the room and the uh, security uh, cameras. Yeah, but um, uh, I, I, I I couldn't really find a way into the movie unfortunately
1: yeah it's uh as as you know I've always found Nixon fascinating uh, as a character in movies and as a person Um, did did my uh, did my weird uh, uh, identification with Richard Nixon play into a recent therapy session it did (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah and so I I and I find almost any depiction of him fascinating and I think that that character and just this manic performance like a guy who essentially is just like this caged animal who's just raging around this place uh i found it very sad very frustrating often very funny um there's plenty of funny stuff yeah and and yeah i i really responded to it and and it it if nothing else it definitely keeps my attention which is something that one guy talking uh might not uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons that his performance is so big is because it needs to hold your attention. Like him being, but a little ebb and flow would probably be nice as well.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess it does a little, you know, occasionally I, mean, I like the, uh, him cause he's recording, recording himself <laughs> and he keeps going like, uh, Roberto er- erase the tape back to, uh, and it's like yeah, the last er- 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah there is, so there is some funny stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah and i i liked uh uh i think i he played the increasing drunkenness actually fairly well yeah because uh i noticed uh that there's a part um you know we've heard or read transcripts of uh, the those tapes of him in the white house you know that he was free with could, could be free with certain racial uh epithets yeah um and so early in the movie he refers to like colored waiters and then later in the movie he starts to say something much worse than that yeah and then stops himself and says the the colored waiters yeah uh and and i felt like that was sort of a I chalk that up to like him getting drunker and like losing his uh his sensor a little bit i would love to Uh, see a performance of it yeah i don't know i mean not not the whole two and a half hours that is an endurance (laughs) yeah it's a 90 minute movie it's apparently a two and a half hour play which is uh, i don't know i mean like in the movie he doesn't drink a glass of water he's drinking scotch maybe I guess in the play you could have colored water you need water right if you're going to talk
1: for yeah, two and a half it hours it could be apple
0: juice uh, yeah I don't know if that would cleanse your throat though probably not no yeah um, uh, anyway that's well, it for movies I'm, I'm, I'm bummed
1: that you didn't like it but at the same time I, it's not for everyone yeah but for me it's for me on a number of yeah.
0: <laughs> Um moving on to TV I'll just briefly mention the end of the Final season of the Great British Baking Show as we know it. Oh, okay. Uh, because I don't know if you've you're not a big you know fan like I am. I don't know if you've heard all the what what's happened. There's a lot of drama going on. Uh, well, the show has been on for seven years. Was been on the BBC, which is right. uh, um, you know not ad supported. It's a mm. government supported. Uh, and then the that contract ended, and then the sh- the show was sold to ITV, which is a network an ad supported network. Oh, okay um and uh you know uh, initially you know even just based on that alone people were skeptical will we, will the show be able to maintain its sort of uh uh completely wholesome untampered with vibe when there's when there are adverti- advertisers and then so the show has two judges and two hosts or i guess presenters in mm-hmm. uk terms and both the pre- both the presenters and one of the judges left decided not to come back to the oh, show okay um so okay. now people who are longtime fans of the show are like this yeah that's w- going to change the tone yeah, yeah th- this is not going to be the show that we that we like uh, anymore um so it was kind of bittersweet to that this was the last regular season but i'm glad i was able to watch it knowing it was going to be the last season i think people in the uk maybe didn't necessarily know that because it aired there mm-hmm. you know six months ago or whatever uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a nice ending. Uh, very sweet. Uh, no pun intended. Um, uh, I, I, I teared up. My favorite person won. It was, it was delightful. All right. Uh, but I just wanted to say that I'm sad that, um, uh, you know, that, um, the show will be gone, but also I want, there was, I don't know if you saw this on the AV club, uh, the one guy, the one judge whose name is Paul Hollywood, who stayed, is like um, people are like, uh, you know, harassing him on on social media about staying, like saying he's a traitor oh, for staying for the on the show. It's like, come on, yeah, exactly. The guy, the guy, the guy was like, he said it was like an interview. Where he was like, I would like to. He was very polite about it. He was like, I would like to no longer be called a traitor for not wanting to lose my job. Yeah. Grow uh, yeah. the
1: fuck up, yeah, people. Exactly. It's a show. Come on. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm sure
1: it's very important to you, and, it, and I'm sure it's an amazing show. In fact, I know it is, but <laughs> <laughs> there are bigger hills to die on than this.
0: Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and that's it for TV for me, I think. Unless all right. The show you're going to talk about, I think, is something that I've seen. I don't think it is. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say you've caught up on Twin Peaks.
1: Oh, no, I have not. Sorry. Um, I have uh, not been quite in the mood for it, but, uh, but I do want to get back to it. If for no other reason than to get to episode eight, which I've heard a lot about, but I know nothing. Yeah, but, I, nothing. Yeah, but wow. I, I don't know anything about it. I just hear it's amazing. Um, yeah, so having just gotten back from Nixon, Missouri uh, and feeling a bit wistful, I decided to engage with the Netflix show Ozark, uh, oh, okay. which I watched the, the first season of
0: now that's um i'm gonna repeat a joke that i made on oh, okay. now podcast um now is that the prestige drama about the morally compromised every man with the uh, disapproving but ultimately supportive wife <laughs> is that that one it's around there <laughs> okay. yes uh yeah of course
1: i mean as i yeah. was watching it i mean there's a strong breaking bad vibe specifically yeah. um and so it's, it, but yeah, it's that, and it feels like that, and like oh, we're setting up a new life in this place. So it reminded me of that show, The Riches, uh, I years ago. Eddie Izzard, yeah, it's not bad, and Mini Driver, yeah, um, Cast. and uh, Margo Martindale is in it as well as a neighbor, um, who. <laughs> who sculpts like mushrooms and they just look completely like penises. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and she doesn't see it at all. But, um, anyway, uh, Ozark is pretty good though. And at times it's great. And I think where it, where it, uh, excels. And, and for me, one of the things that I like about it more than breaking bad is the, the two lead performances. Um, and the fact that this all seems... Breaking Bad definitely did not seem to take place in our reality. Right. And that's not a complaint. No. Um, Ozark does seem to take place. It's a slightly heightened version of our reality. It looks recognizable, even if the story itself is this seedy kind of thing where uh, crime bosses are, will tell you a long story before they shoot you in the face. Stuff like that. mm mm-hmm. um, But I do think that Jason Bateman, who has, you know, I mean, he was a comedic, he was, you know, as a young man, he was in comedies and stuff, and then he uh, came back with Arrested Development and was just this uh, hilarious go-to, I think. But then in the last few years, uh, I'd say with that movie The Gift, which is not a great movie, but he's marvelous Mm -hmm. in it, um, I think he really has found... His, you know, kind of established his chops, as as they would say, as uh, as a dramatic actor, and he is doing marvelous things in this show. Laura Linney, I expected, and she is also doing marvelous things, but I'm not surprised by her. (laughs) With him, especially because I mean, it's it's the two of them, but it is mostly his show, and. There are scenes where he has a gun in his face and the person holding the gun has just killed other people and he is going to die. Mm-hmm. The person has pointed the gun in, the face, in his face about to kill him. Yeah, But he's a talker. That's what he does. Like he's, And he sells people on things. And to see him do the only thing he knows how to do, which is talk, at a moment was like, at any moment, mid sentence, this person could shoot me, and I could die at any moment. And like, there is such a like he has to have fear; he has to show, but oh, but he's he's controlling it. But the the panic is so palpable in those moments, and it's a function of of the of the directing and the editing. Jason Bateman directs a number of the show of the episodes, oh. uh, which I find fascinating, and that performance is something that like okay, so. Spoilers for Breaking Bad, everybody. This is a big one, by the way. Yeah. There are several scenes in which Walter White is trying to talk people out of something, uh-huh. but there is a scene in the, the last season when someone has a gun up to the head of someone that Walter cares about, right. and he is trying to talk out talk the person out of what they're about to do, and then they do it. Yeah. Um, but that kind of desperation, which honestly seems a bit histrionic, when uh. Uh, brian cranston does i've always appreciated his smaller moments in the show than his bigger moments um those are echoed here in a way that seems so much more relatable to me and what i do like is that the character's not an everyman he has been laun- he's been laundering money and his wife knows he's been laundering mm-hmm. money but then things get worse and they find themselves in a situation and and i really i like the the dynamic between the two of them um i actually think the cast might be a bit too small uh because it's just we deal with the same people over and over and it's as though there's no one else around oh. um, and that kind of thing bothers me but yeah. um and it's hard to it is hard to ignore um it's hard to ignore the the breaking bad echoes as well as the you know the other thing the other types of shows we're dealing with but it is definitely worth a watch uh and i and that first episode the first two episodes will definitely hook you and i was always interested to see what was going to happen next even when there were certain plot lines that i thought were kind of contrived but uh it's been renewed for a second season and and it definitely the first episode the last episode of the first season Sets up a lot of stuff that I'm genuinely interested to see them pay off.